0: Well, in our series, we've been taking time each week to both talk about the importance of worship and also to break down the parts of worship. Two weeks ago, we described the sacraments and how they bring us in touch with the grace of God. Last week, we focused on the power of music to connect us with God. We also have talked about that worship is good for us because research shows that people that worship regularly are happier healthier, and live longer. This week, I'd like to look at worship from God's perspective. And a second reason that worship is important is not just because of what it does for us, but because of what it does for God. Now, please understand, I'm not suggesting that God is a narcissistic personality that needs our praise and thanksgiving to exist. God would not be God if that was the case. But it does seem, as you look at the scriptures, that we're told over and over to worship God. We find God saying that uh, he is a jealous God. And one of the Ten Commandments says that we are to have no other gods before him. But you'd be hard-pressed, if you look at the scriptural witness, to hear God directly telling us to worship him. I wonder if that might be a part of being divine. He does not need to tell us. Because we know that he doesn't need us, but he seems to want us and desire our praise and thanksgiving. The, the phrasing that's found in Psalm 95, 6, and 7 says it pretty well. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep in his hands. So so why does God want us to praise him? Why does God want us here to worship him? And the best way I can describe that is in an analogy. In our family with my children, we've got this little practice that we do. Uh, When we've talked on the telephone, just before we hang up, we both say very quickly, love you. Anybody else do something like that? And believe me, it's not easy for me to say that because I grew up in a family that never said that. So I have to actually work, intentionally do it. But I love doing it because of the energy it brings to our relationship, the bond that it brings, that it seals, that that connection that we have with one another. I love hearing that especially. And don't you think if God, who is described as our Father or the Divine Parent, likes to hear that as well? Not that God needs it, but sometimes we let God be too transcendent, too beyond and removed from us to appreciate that God's also incarnate God has come into our world in the form of Jesus he gives us the Holy Spirit to connect with us each and every day so worship then is the opportunity for us to seal that connection God is love and for love to be complete it needs to be reciprocated both ways and that's what takes place when we worship both from us and God back to us worship is important now today we want to focus on the part of worship that we call proclamation or preaching for that simple word and when we think about th- preaching, I can tell you that my years of ministry it has gone through a lot of transformation. We now live in the information age. things have changed quite a bit. Uh, now we don't have that many educators today because it's fall break, but if you're in the educational field, you know that Things have changed dramatically in that area. Used to the transfer of information was basically preparation of lecture, note taking on the part of the student, and then regurgitate as much as you can remember on a test. And that is not the case anymore, is it? When you can find everything you need on the internet, that information is not as valuable. What's more important, what's being stressed these days, is collaboration, critical thinking, problem solving and creativity. Teachers are given the task of creating learning opportunities and experiences. Teachers have to be very adverse in knowing the different learning styles of each student so they can tailor to the needs that they have. It's a different world out there. And the same is true in the world of preaching. So much has changed. The expectations are higher. You have to be just as effective as a communicator as you are about the content that you're sharing. I have a friend that I was talking to a few weeks ago. He lives down in New Albany in the Louisville area, and he attends a church now where the home-based church is located in Louisville. It's the large campus, but they also have satellite campuses, and one of those campuses is in southern Indiana in Jeffersonville, and he attends that worship in a separate building. They have their own shepherding pastor and their own band, but the message is delivered via closed-circuit signal on a big screen. And he told me it's kind of weird, but you get used to it after a while, and you kind of decide that's not a bad use of resources. But he also mentioned as a sidebar that he is feeling called to go and attend now this local small country church where a lot of his family grew up going to because he wants to help save that church. so interesting to hear that call, that change. But things have changed so much. We, we now have in our pockets the whole Internet available to us. Everything is so accessible, so much information. And it's changing everything that we do. There's There's a growing blurring of the lines between the virtual world and the real world. We have these with us so much that these become a part of our reality. Gosh, I was painting yesterday on our front porch and I just happened to look down the street as I saw a car go by. It was a convertible and the woman was driving and she had her cell phone right there looking at it and she was just in her neighborhood. Please don't do that. Please. (laughs) But we've gotten so used to that that we think we have to have it with us all the time. And, And this... Changing. I guess it doesn't like that spot too well. <laughs> Let me move this out here. Is this better? All right, let's try that. And the other part of the reality that we experience is shortening attention spans. We live in a Twitter world where characters, 140 characters or less, is what's necessary for a message to be delivered. Matter of fact, one expert says a preacher has to earn the attention of the listener every 30 seconds or less, or the listener will drift off. Really? Every 30. You guys can do better than that, can't you? 30 seconds, that's a lot of pressure. I'll do my best. David Lowe's, who's president of Luther Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, says that now it's important in preaching to make participation as possible as you can. So he recommends things like using social media to gather input, using engaging questions, whether they're answered or not out loud. And he says, here's the problem that we face. It's not so much that information's come to us differently. That's, that's okay. But he says the volume of information has so overwhelmed us that increase in that volume is to the point now that we're not hungering for information. People have too much information. And so the one thing that we can offer in proclamation is the sharing of story that we still need, in spite of all that information, we still need a story that we can identify with to feel connected to and understand who we are and who God is and who this world is. The good news is our scriptures are full of stories, wonderful stories. As a matter of fact, you might say that from beginning to end, it's a collection of stories that is one larger narrative of God interacting with us throughout history and through different people. And so that story is what we have to focus on when we proclaim. Let me share the story that's behind the scripture that was shared today. There is a story which is harder to find when you're reading the letters of Paul or the other letters in the New Testament. But Paul makes this comment about how beautiful is our feet. Now, think about your feet a little bit. Uh, It's the wrong time of the year to have sandals on, so you can't look at them that easily. But you know what they look like. Typically, feet are calloused, sometimes they're corn and bunion prone, sometimes our toes are crooked. And sometimes we have ingrown toenails. We don't tend to think of our feet being beautiful, do we? Someone has said that our feet is the ugliest part of the human body. So what is Paul getting at? What is he trying to say? How beautiful are the feet? And he's making reference to the history that many of his Jewish listeners would have understood. Because they remember the time of Isaiah, and they find in the 52nd chapter The words from Isaiah that sound like this How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of a messenger who proclaims peace, who brings good news, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God rules. And Isaiah is referring to the way people got their news. Now, think about it. If you lived in 700 BC, how would you get your news? You don't have your cell phones, you don't have the internet. You don't have newspapers, magazines. You don't have satellites. How would you get your news? Most often you get it by courier. Once in a while by a mounted courier on a horse. But remember, especially in Isaiah's day, horses were very precious and not easy to find. Most of the time the news was carried by someone running on foot for miles and miles, uphill and downhill through towns, through barren lands. And those tired feet would bring that news. Sometimes the news was not always good. Sometimes it was bad news. There were occasions when some kings would be so angry at that bad news, they would behead the courier. It was an occupational hazard. But when you had good news, it was exhilarating, like that It's expressed in this 52nd chapter of Isaiah. The news is exciting, it's powerful, and it's wonderful. And that's what Paul is trying to to express to his listeners, to help them see that the good news he offered was just as powerful. And the good news that was shared in Isaiah's day was that King Cyrus has now proclaimed that all the Israelites who are now in exile in Persia are free to go home. They're set free. What great news that is. And Paul's trying to say that the news I'm sharing of the resurrected Lord is just as powerful. To know that he is setting free people, especially the Greeks who worship these meaningless gods, to find the one true God who's raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And believe me, Paul knows his good news. Because remember, Paul was the one who was persecuting Christians who was so threatened by that movement that he was having people put to death and then Christ got to him and he heard that good news directly from the risen Christ. He was blinded and then he was saved and he carried that good news to the towns and villages just like the couriers of old. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's the image that Paul's trying to set for us as we think about this issue of proclamation. He asked that question, who will be found to preach? The news cannot be heard unless it is preached. And he wants us to think about that image of people going through that countryside, how precious that, that news is, how much labor has gone into that effort. Now, I don't know how beautiful Pastor Dick or Pastor Aaron or my feet are, but I know that one thing we do bring to this enterprise, of proclamation, is a living, breathing human being. There are places you can go. You get on the Internet and you can find much better preachers, I guarantee you, than, than any of us. You can go to a megachurch and find a message that's crafted together by a research team, that's put on by a media team that has trained and can seamlessly weave in and out the visuals and they probably had a dress rehearsal so that it comes across like a theater production. We don't have that here, but we have people who live where you live, who eat where you eat, who face the same challenges and struggles that you do in this community. And that's powerful. That's important. I love technology, but there's nothing like having a real living human being who is connected to that community to share the word that we need to hear right here. Let me tell you, some weeks it's not easy. And for me, it's not preaching in front of a crowd. It's that responsibility of preaching God's word. And for me, the only time I feel I have any authority is when I've been authentic to the living word found in that scripture that somehow it can connect it to our everyday life. That is the challenge that we face. And there's some Sundays when that message comes together and I can't wait to get up here. And there's other Sundays where it just seems to come so hard, it's like pulling teeth, and I bring my own doubts and fears to you. And you hope somehow God's word comes through as you need to hear it. I think Pastor Aaron can attest that uh, Bishop Corner, who served us for eight years, always presented a, a homily that was effective. And something about his preaching, it was never sophisticated. It, it wasn't about big words and complicated thoughts and theories, it was sharing an image that's simple, that we could relate to in everyday life, and he was so effective at relating it to our everyday struggles as pastors, as preachers. He lived that life, he knew it was about, and he stayed in touch with it. So every time I heard him, I never was disappointed. I always came away with something that encouraged me, that affirmed me, because he lived where we lived. He knew what we faced. And he brought those two together so well. It's kind of like what Jesus did, isn't it? What was Jesus' favorite form of speaking? It was in the form of parable. Parables that used very simple images. His teaching was much the same. Things that anybody, no matter what your education was, you would understand it. He used things like talking to fishermen who could relate to their occupation and say, you'll be fishers of men. He related to that experience that would happen on occasion when a Roman soldier would require someone to carry their backpack a mile and he'd say, carry it too. He shared parables of throwing seed on different types of soil that the farmers could relate to so well. The only challenge in listening to Jesus was, do you have an open heart? And that's a big if. And that's probably the task I want to leave with you when we talk about this enterprise of proclamation. Paul was very concerned about it. You see, this passage fits into chapters 9 through 11 of the book of Romans, which is all dedicated to Paul's frustration that his own Jewish people had pretty much, for the most part, rejected the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had a much better hearing from the Greek people who came from a whole different culture, a whole different understanding. And Paul was frustrated with that. And that's why he says, who will listen? Let me read the message version of verses 16 and 17. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, Before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. So that's your task to bring to this issue of proclamation. Can you listen for the good news that God wants you to hear? I was sharing with my (coughs) class that I'm (coughs) offering, (coughs) excuse me, right now, Spiritual Practices for Busy People. And we got talking about preaching and and something that happens to me sometimes. I find that some of the best sermons are ones not necessarily where the preacher's got me hanging on each and every word. Sometimes a preacher will say something that shares an image and it just triggers something in my mind and I find myself drifting off, almost daydreaming, thinking about the meaning of that. I might even end up writing a whole different sermon. I don't know if you ever do that, Aaron, but sometimes. And you know, Those are the best messages. Now, if you ask me to give you an outline of the whole sermon, I might get 50% of it right. I, I may not remember everything you said, but that message was heard as I need to hear it. The good news came to me. So you have that permission to drift if you need to as long as it is the Spirit of God taking you on that other place. But listen for the good news. Expect, no matter how professional or amateur the presentation is, listen for God God has for you on this day or any day that the word is proclaimed. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so grateful for your word that comes to us. It is not easy always pulling out what the word is that we need to hear. But help us to have that open heart, those open minds that your word might come to us and speak to us so that we are transformed not just on a Sunday morning, but each and every day of the week. This is our prayer through Christ who is our Lord.